have your Bibles today, and I trust that you do. If you can open with me to Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, I'm going to ask you to bear with me today. I got a sinus infection at the end of the week, and I uh, was feeling good yesterday, got out in the yard, did a bunch of yard work. I must have swallowed every bit of pollen that was in my, my yard, and I'm paying for it today, so just bear with me. If I cough a little bit or hack, just, uh, just stay away. You're, you're six feet, feet away, you're, you're good. But uh, welcome to week 13 of our Roman series that has us walking through what we have declared to be foundations of our faith. Foundations of our faith found in this difficult yet delightful book. I say difficult because where we're going today, again, is difficult. Now I'm looking forward to next week and I want to encourage you in advance, take time this week to read Romans 7 because in Romans 7, Paul answers the questions that I struggle with, I pray maybe you do as well, of why do I always not do the things I want to do and find myself doing the things I don't want to do? So that's going to be next week, but we got to get through this week first, and it is difficult. But let me begin this way. The essence of Romans is that salvation from sin consists in deliverance from a threefold bondage. So Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin by suffering the wrath of God for us. Jesus saves us from the power of sin by giving us the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to say no to sin. And Jesus saves us from the presence of sin when Jesus comes again um, in the age to come and transforms and glorifies us. Thus, a Christian is a person who is being saved from the penalty of sin or has been saved from the penalty of sin is being saved from the presence of sin and who, or excuse me, I got this all confused. A Christian is someone who has been saved from the penalty of sin, is being saved from the power of sin, and will be saved from the presence of sin. And each of these tenses of salvation has a theological name. So salvation from the past through Christ is called justification. We have been declared righteous by God through our faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation in the presence over the power of sin is called sanctification by which uh, Romans 8 tells us we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And then salvation in the future is from the presence of sin is called glorification. We will be glorified. We will be like him. Justification is how God sees us in Christ. Sanctification is what we experience daily in Christ. And glorification is what we shall be. Or to put it in a different way, justification is something done for us, sanctification is something done in us, and glorification is going to be something that's going to be done to us. We have so much that is happening and will happen to us in and through Christ, according to the Word of God. And ultimately, Romans is the Magna Carta of the Christian faith. It spells out to us our emancipation from evil because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything has changed. The tragedy, though, is that millions around the world live in slavery to sin, mostly don't even know it. Mostly live in slavery to sin and don't even know it, like mindless drones who obey because that's what they are supposed to do. That's the only thing they can do. And in Romans 6, Paul begins by lifting high what faith in a risen Savior looks like. We saw that last week. We are dead to sin. We are alive to God. I had someone say at the end of last week, well, that was a different Easter message. I think we're programmed to walk in here on Easter and just say, Jesus is alive. He's 
Or he's risen, he's risen indeed, and then we walk out. And the reality is last week we said that, but we also said, well, those who have believed that, we're dead to sin. We're alive to God. This is the difference it makes in our lives. And most people are like, huh, Ah, okay, I, I guess so. But listen, Paul is saying this is who we are in Christ. This is who we are. But Paul doesn't just stop there. In the second half of Romans 6, Paul now takes on the difficult subject, at least for us in our minds, of slavery. And the reality is we are all slaves to someone or something. I know few issues can make a person cringe as much as a subject of of slavery. It's not a subject of casual or carefree conversation whether we're referring to past injustices or whether we're referring to modern evils, the subject of slavery should be met with angst and contempt um, for all of us. And here's what we know. Slavery may not be as visible today, but it is still just as repulsive, just as evil as the buying and selling of humans on an auction block. Human trafficking, forced labor, addictions, domestic violence are examples of some modern-day examples of slavery. With that in mind, though, think about this. Slavery doesn't seem to be the metaphor that we would use to communicate encouraging spiritual truths. But the Bible does. Strangely enough, the Bible does. The Bible uses this repeatedly to show us that before Christ... We are slaves to sin, and after Christ, we have a new owner, one who wants the best for us. But it begins by us seeing what we are to sin. It's an apt metaphor where sin marks us as its own. Sin rules us without mercy. Sin binds us in chains, and sin refuses to let us go. I told you it's going to be a difficult message today. And Paul is writing to a group of believers in Romans where in in Rome it is estimated that 85 to 90 percent of the population of Rome would have one time lived in slavery. Just wrap your mind around that. Now most of them because of debt. They would go into debt, they would sell themselves to the person they owe the debt to, they would work for years to pay off that debt, and then they would be released to return to their lives. But this was a metaphor, powerful metaphor that Paul was using of to the Roman church, something that they would have understood. So please hear this again. Let me lay this foundation. Paul is in no way condoning slavery. What he is doing is assuming familiarity with it, that there's a familiarity with what is happening in the world that they were living in. There's a picture we have to understand that we're also serving someone or something. Today, I'm going to lead you to Pray by the grace of God, discover who that is. But I pray that we would understand the point of what Paul is saying is the same point for us today. Let me just lay before you the words of Charles Swindoll, which is kind of the the place of where we're going today in God's word. He says this, Slavery to God is the greatest freedom a human can ever know. We are never so free as when we are living in harmony with our created purpose. Hear this, when we serve righteousness, we not only please God, we do what is best for ourselves. Serving righteousness doesn't just lead to pleasing God, we're actually doing what's best for ourselves forever. So we're going to dive in today and we're going to, and title of today's message, we're going to behold a, a slavery that frees, that leads to our freedom. 
We're going to read in just a second 12 verses. We're actually going to unpack probably four of them today. As I said from the beginning, this is an exhaustive study of every single verse. And some of the verses we're not um, taking on because we have already have taken on or because we will take on um, as we continue. We're just kind of hitting the highlight of what this section is. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read 12 verses, Romans 6, 12 through 23 together. And Paul says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Or another translation of that is a million times no. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and it's in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, just speak to us in this time. Holy Spirit, work in our Midst. Jesus, be exalted as our Lord, our Savior, our Master. Just reveal to us, O oh God, what we need to see, what we need to do. In your name, amen. You may be seated. So the background here, there is a background of what Paul is trying to get to in these 12 verses. And what Paul is addressing, the background is the enslavement of the people of Israel to Egypt. We know that Israel was redeemed from slavery in Egypt so that they would be free to serve God in the promised land. So God delivered them from slavery so that God would empower them to do the things that God had called them to do. The most repeated summary of Israel's history in the Bible is that God brought them out of Egypt, that God brought them out of slavery. It's so significant that the two times that the Ten Commandments are given to us in Scripture, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, both times it's prefaced with these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So God's liberating work for the people preceded God's expectation of obedience by the people. So the picture of Scripture in the Old Testament is God says, I set you free, you're free, now obey me. And brothers and sisters, it's the same picture in the New Testament. What God is telling us is through the cross, we are free. And now that we have set, been set free, we obey. We obey him. We obey him and the things that he is calling us to do is the picture of the gospel. There's freedom in it. 
So I want to lay before us this morning three very clear, but also three very difficult truths from this text. The first is this. There are only two masters. There are only two masters. To be human is to be a servant. Either we are serving God or we are serving sin. We're serving something else. Listen to what Paul says in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Every single person is a slave to something or someone. We are controlled. We are in bondage to whatever controls us in our lives. The person who can't say no to gossip is a slave to gossip. The person who can't turn off the television or get off their phones is a slave to entertainment or social media. The person who can't break addictions uh, Whatever they might be is a slave to that addiction or immorality. The person who checks their stock portfolio every hour is a slave to money or security. We are all serving some cause. I read this week, Rebecca Manley Pippert said this, Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. Hear this. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. We're controlled by the Lord of our lives, whatever it is. See, some people think that they can harmlessly play around with sin. They think they can go along with sin, compromise what they know to be right, and nothing will happen. Yet that's not how sin works. Sin is a predator. Sin is working, working for mastery in our lives and over our lives. As we said last week, in salvation, Jesus has taken the chains of sin off of our arms and legs, and he has, in a metaphor of the ants, has buried them in a graveyard. And the problem is, brothers and sisters, if we're not careful, we have gone to that graveyard and dug through the chains in order to find the chains that we once wore. So that we can be slaves again to that which Christ has saved us from. We don't understand what sin does to us. It reminds me of a news story that I read not too long ago entitled, get this, Man Mauled to Death by His Pet Hippo. Just wrap your head around that. The story is very eerily familiar in every other story that um, takes on this picture. Some guy had a hippo named Humphrey that he described as like a son. The man had previously said that Humphrey responded to his calls, uh, enjoyed playing with him, and even allowed him to brush his teeth. And then Humphrey bit him over and over and over again, and he died. And people, get this, were surprised. We never saw this coming. Humphrey was so sweet and kind. Really? Really? <laughs> I am sure there were moments where Humphrey was a hungry, or not, he was a nice hippo. Later, he would become a hungry, hungry hippo. But the, you knew it was coming. You knew it had to, to come. But listen, taking a hippo and naming it Humphrey doesn't change his nature. Eventually, a hippo is going to do what a hippo does. If you take a pet snake and you want to let that snake sleep in the bed with you or put that uh, snake in the bed with your children, eventually that snake is going to do what a snake does. 
Brothers and sisters, sometimes we, we act like I never saw it coming. You should. Things are going to do what's in their nature. Ironically, unbelievers in the same way deny that they're anybody's slave. And the reason they do so is because they're a slave to their own pride. Their pride has convinced them, I'm not a slave to anybody, and they're a slave to their own pride, which of course is sin. Believers before conversion are slaves of sin, but now, praise God, after conversion, we are slaves of righteousness. And please write this down if you're taking notes. Christian freedom is not necessarily freedom from something. It is freedom to serve someone. Christian freedom is not just freedom from something, although it is, but it is freedom to serve someone. We are not free in order just to live for ourselves. We're free to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And let me just say this, and this is where many people miss the mark. It is possible to be a slave and think you're free. Many unbelievers, that's exactly how they live. They are slaves to the sin and they think they are free. Nobody's telling me what to do. I do what I want to do. No, you do what sin tells you to do. In the same manner, please hear this. It's possible to be free and think you're a slave. This is what we see all throughout the Old Testament narrative. The people of Israel, they were set free from Egypt, but every time things got tough, what do they want to do? Go back. Let's go back to Egypt. Every time things got tough, they had a bondage identity where they knew what to expect. They knew what that life was, but every time things were tough, and they began to even redefine what it was. They said, let's go back to Egypt, the land flowing with milk and honey. No, it was a land flowing with brick and mortar. That's what their life was, but that's the picture of what slavery to sin does to us. We are free, but we can revert back to that because at least there we know what to expect. Brothers and sisters, there are only two masters. Either we serve sin or we serve the Savior. And there is only one Savior of sinners in the world. There are only two masters, sin or him. Secondly, there are only two rewards. There are only two rewards. Over time, the obedience that we give, either to God or to sin, changes us. When we give in to worry or gossip or cowardice or immorality, and we do that again and again and again, it shapes us. It changes us. In the same way, when we give in to trust in God, to gracious speech, to courage, to purity, it shapes us into holiness, into conformity of Christ, eventually we become like what we obey. You will become like what you obey. Look at verse 19 up here. For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, hear this, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. So sin is a cruel master that drives us deeper into sin. Do you know that lying leads to more lying? Sexual immorality leads to more sexual immorality. Lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. Sin, sin has a domino effect. It brings more sin. Satan lies to us and says, listen, one sin. One sin. What will one sin do? There's no harm in one sin. Sin, 
But we know according to the word of God, sin triggers a chain of events that sets off another and another and another. Behind every temptation, brothers and sisters, there is a master, merciless and cruel, and he's holding out in his hand pleasure. He's holding out freedom, honor, happiness, saying just do it. But behind his back, he is withholding what it leads to, death and hell. Doesn't show us that picture. Brothers and sisters, so offering ourselves repeatedly to sin leads to a never-ending cycle of lawlessness. Now, C.S. Lewis had an interesting description of how slavery to sin develops in our lives. And I love this. Now, I don't necessarily love C.S. Lewis's thoughts on hell. Um, kind of a man so brilliant, kind of got off a little bit when it comes to that. But he, he shows how lawlessness plays out beyond the horizon of this life. And here's what he writes. Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever. And this must be either true or false. Now, there are good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were only going to live 70 years, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. Perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy are gradually getting worse, so gradually that the increase in 70 years will not be very noticeable. But it might be absolute hell in a million years. In fact, if Christianity is true, hell is precisely the correct technical term for what it would be. Now, we know there's a whole lot more to that. There's more than just becoming sin and seeing sin take us and shape us into what it would have us to be forever and ever and ever. There's also the wrath of God. But just think about that. Sin having its way in a person's life forever. We talked last week about the, the picture of a, a person desiring dog food. Well, sin for the believer is nothing better than chocolate-covered Alpo. That's what sin is. It might for a moment bring momentary pleasure, but the aftertaste is disgusting. That is the picture of sin. To go for dog food when you have the choicest meats available is insanity. But brothers and sisters, sin is insanity. It's what sin is. It doesn't make sense. It brings nothing but grief. But praise God, the opposite is also true. When we live for Christ, what he gives us far outseas the pleasures of sin. There's no comparison. Luis Palau, an evangelist who recently passed away, said this. If you like sin, you'll love holiness. If you like sin, you'll love holiness. That's what Paul is saying. If you thought sin was fun, try holiness for a while. It's really fun. There's no bad aftertaste. Sin will satisfy you for a little while. Holiness will satisfy you forever and ever and ever. Which begs the question, let me just lay this before you. Is the Holy Spirit right now being allowed to transform your life? Are you yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit? There's only two answers to that question. Either yes, I'm daily yielding myself to the Holy Spirit. Or no. Now, if the answer is no, there's two reasons why. Either one, you're not saved. And the Holy Spirit is not in you. Or number two, you are refusing to submit to the Holy Spirit because you think your way is better. You think your way leads to more pleasure. 
Listen, if you are a child of God, according to the word of God, listen, this is what's true of you. You are no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave. The reason that you sin is because you choose the old master over the new one. Yet, if you are a child of God, the old master has no authority over your life. Imagine that you live in an apartment under a landlord who makes your life miserable. He charges an astronomically high rent, and when you aren't able to pay, he tacks on exorbitant interest. It only gets you further in debt. He barges into your apartment at all hours of the night, breathing threats, soling your carpet, and then charging you extra for not maintaining your property. Imagine having to live under that kind of authority. Then imagine one day there's a knock on your door. It's a gentle knock. And you open the door, and there's a man that says, Hey, I am now the new owner of this apartment. I am sorry for the way that you have been treated, but I can assure you moving forward, not only will things be different, you can live here for free. It has been paid. You no longer have to worry, and I will fix all of these things. Imagine what would come over you. Imagine all the fear and anxiety in that moment that would wash away. And then imagine for me a day or two later, you hear that same knock again, a loud knock, and you open the door, and it's the old the old owner, he says, you owe me my money. Give me my money. How would you respond? Would you say, well, I, yeah, you're, I owe you all the things that you forced upon me? Or would you say, listen, this place is under new ownership. And you are no longer welcome here. Brothers and sisters, there is an enemy who thinks he can convince us that we still belong to him. And he'll still come banging on the door of our lives, saying, let me in, you owe me. And brothers and sisters, if we are in Christ, we are no longer his. We are under new ownership. We need to remind ourselves daily that we are not his anymore. We are his. And we are his forever. Praise God. Praise God. There are two rewards. Sin, which leads to more sin and more sin, or righteousness that leads to more Jesus. And third, there are only two des destinies. There are only two destinies. There is either eternal death, eternal separation from God, or there is eternal life. Look on the screen, verses 21 through 23. It says, for the end of those things, sin is death. But the fruit you get leads to sanctification and is in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word wages there was the word that was used for payment given to soldiers by a general for fighting in war. And here's what we have to understand. The general of the non-Christian life is sin. The general tells a non-Christian, how to live and what to do. And the payment for living a non-Christian life is always the same. It is death. You see, get this. Sin will pay the unbeliever exactly what they deserve. Sin will give every unbeliever exactly what they deserve. The wages of sin is death. It's what the sinner deserves. It's fair. The story's been told of a cruel king 
who called one of his subjects into his presence. And the king said, what do you do for a living? And the man said, I'm a blacksmith. And he said, go and make me a chain at this length. So the man went away and spent a month making a chain and finally came back in the presence of the king and presented this chain. And instead of being rewarded or instead of being told it was a great job, the king said, go back and double it. So the man went back and spent time and doubled the length. He came before the king again, and the king said, now go and double it again. So the man went and did it again. He did this a few different times. At last, he came in the presence of the king, and the wicked tyrant directed this man be bound in the chain that he had made and thrown into a furnace. Brothers and sisters, that's the exact same thing sin does to us. Every time we give into it, we're wrapping ourselves in the chain that we have made. We're wrapping ourselves in something that we have given into. And we start with the legs and it becomes hard for us to walk. Or sometimes we start with the the head and it becomes over our eyes where we can't see. And it dictates and it has an effect on every part of our lives. Just like this cruel king, sin exacts from servant a dreadful price. The wages of sin is death. If you are here today or you're listening online and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there's nothing awaiting you but separation from God and the wrath of God. My prayer is that if you don't know Jesus, today will be the day of salvation. Call out to him now and he will save you. That's the beauty of him. And think about Romans 6.23. Think about this verse, the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God's eternal life. We use this verse as part of the Romans road. We use this verse when sharing the gospel with an unbeliever. And it's good. We should. But I want you to pause for a second and think about this. When Paul is writing these words, he's writing them not to unbelievers but to Christians. He's writing them to believers. And he's telling believers the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the point. Although God forgives sins of his children God doesn't always stop the painful consequences of sin. Listen, if you commit a sin and you ask God to forgive you, yes, God's going to forgive you, but it doesn't mean God's going to withhold the consequences of your sin. As I always say, if you rob a bank and in the midst of robbing a bank you break your leg and you ask God to forgive you, guess what? Yes, God will forgive you, but you'll still have a broken leg and you're still going to go to jail. I mean, the picture is we're still going to have to suffer consequences. The pleasures of sin are never equal to the wages of sin. Sinning is never worth it. It's never worth it for the child of God. In even a greater sense, it means this, that when the child of God gives into sin, we are, in a sense, committing millions of little deaths that are taking place in our lives as we give in. Millions of little dead things that are, that are happening, that are dying all around us. Yet, thankfully, God's grace doesn't leave us there. There is a, a different way. There's a better way. Where wages of sin leads to death, Paul declares that eternal life is a gift, not a wage. We earned our death, and we can never unearn it. But there is a gift that's being held out to us that we can embrace in Christ Jesus. Think about this. Jesus doesn't give us wages that we earn. He gives us gifts that he earned. He gives us gifts that he earned by hanging on the cross for us. And I want you to think about, look back in your Bibles at verse 15. 
And I want to walk through real quick and let you just scan over this real quick. And I want to show you how much different a ruler is, Jesus is to us, than the ruler of sin. Just think about the kind of rule that Jesus has over us. According to verse 15, Jesus rules us with grace. We're under grace. According to verse 16, Jesus rules us with righteousness. Leads to righteousness. Verse 17, Jesus rule, his rule changes our hearts. Look at it. Have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, the word of God. Verse 18, Jesus' rule sets us free. Verse 19, his rule keeps sanctifying us, making us more and more and more like Jesus. According to verse 22, his rule bears fruit in our lives. Also, according to verse 22, his rule extends into eternal life. And then in verse 23, Jesus' rule gives gifts, free gifts that start with God himself. Jesus is the path to freedom, and he is a good, and he's a gracious Lord. He's a good and gracious master. Everyone in this world who is looking for freedom is looking for Jesus, whether they know it or not. They're looking for Jesus whether they know it or not. So let me close or begin closing with the words of Jesus in John 8. I used these words last week. Let me just show them to you again. In John 8, 32, in John 8, 36, Jesus said this, you will know the truth. Well, what's the truth? According to John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is a person. You will know the truth. You will know Jesus, and he will set you free. So when we get to verse 36, and Jesus says, If the Son, if I set you free, you are what? Free indeed. Brothers and sisters, we are under new ownership. The chains have been taken off. They have been buried in the graveyard. We are free indeed. Let me say something, though, to everyone, a believer in this room and watching online. We have been programmed to believe every day we get up and we're like, well, I'm going to mess up the day. The day's the day I'm going to give in to sin. The day's the day I'm going to um, mess up. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fall short. And I'm going to, at the end of the day, I'm going to close my eyes and ask God to forgive me and start over the next day. We have been convinced that sin is our daily destiny. And if we're not careful, hear this, we're good with it. To the point that we don't even fight against it or some don't even feel sorry for it. And what I mean by that is this. Think about this. If you would say, how dare you say, I'm not sorry for it. When was the last time you asked God to forgive you? For some people, you can't even remember. Listen, you're a child of God. You do fail. You do mess up. But you never ask God to forgive you? That means that you don't take sin as serious as God does. There used to be a man that attended our church. His name was Pat Patterson. There wasn't a time that we ever went to prayer that I didn't hear him in the midst of his praying say, God, I have fallen short and missed the mark. Forgive me. Every single time he prayed. Every single time. God, I've missed the mark. I've fallen short of your glory. Sin to him was something that was real. It was something that he understood came against him, but he also understood who forgives him. Let me say this today in a different way. How much better to begin each day thinking victory than defeat? How much better to begin each day awaken, awakening to grace instead of going to bed in regret or shame? 
How much better to encounter temptations with a thought of, Jesus, you are my master and you are greater than this. There's nothing that this can offer me that can compare, oh God, to you. Therefore, Jesus, use my hands. Therefore, Jesus, use my eyes. Use my mouth. Use my feet. Use my body. It is yours today, and it will be yours tomorrow. I just want to lay the teaching of Paul before us today as a question. And I want to end by laying this question before you. Are you currently presenting yourself to sin? To do what sin would have you to do? Or are you currently presenting yourself to your savior where those two lead could not even there's not there's no closeness to where those two lead and i'm going to ask you to stand i'm going to call the musicians forward the praise team forward and we're going to enter into this time of invitation and consecration but let's pray together father we come before you and lord i pray right now for those that or here, or maybe listening online that don't know you, that today would be the day that they would cry out to you and ask you, oh God, through Jesus Christ to save them from their sin. And Lord, you will be faithful to do just that. Oh God, just do that today. And I pray if anyone does that, that you would give them, Lord, the boldness to tell someone. Lord, you don't save us in order to shame us as if we're ashamed of it. Lord, you save us and embolden us to do that Father I pray for believers across this room that God we've been lied to by the enemy the enemy bangs on the door of our hearts and declares that he wants what's rightfully his and we're so quick to give in but Lord in you it's not his anymore it's yours. God, help us today to submit ourselves to you, to give you what is yours every day, to submit to the Holy Spirit who wants to produce holiness in us. Father, help us to stop messing around with sin. Help us to understand, to have our eyes open to the fact that sin is a predator. Sin wants to destroy us. And you, Jesus, you are a Savior. And that's exactly what you want to do for us. We'll just finish this time. God, I pray for any child of God in this room that has spent their last several days, weeks, months, presenting themselves to, to sin, to do what sin would have them to do, that today would be the day that that stops. In Jesus' name, the day would be the day that that stops. And that we would see ourselves for who we are in you. And that is, we're yours. We're yours. Have your way. Finish this time. In Jesus' name, amen.